I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Biz Talks. This is Kim Singletary. I'm the editor of Biz New Orleans Magazine. And this week, we're going to talk about the homeless situation, specifically in the greater New Orleans area. And to do that, I have a special guest. Her name is Melissa Tyler. She is the development director of the New Orleans Women and Children Shelter. Um, it, well, the shelter was established in 2007, and it is currently the largest, largest organization serving homeless families in the greater New Orleans area. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you for having me. Um, so we're, I'm excited to talk to you, but it's not exactly a happy topic. Um, I was just looking at some news that just came through um, from the Greater New Orleans Housing Authority, and it was talking about that 36,000 households in New Orleans, or nearly 10% of all owner-occupied households, could not or did not pay their mortgage last month. Um, yeah. And that basically warning that we have a huge foreclosure crisis um, on the horizon. And so I wanted to talk about um, that's obviously due in large part to our lack of affordable housing, which is something we've talked about a lot in biz. But um, mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about the, the homeless situation now. I was looking at when you guys started in 2007, we had it had was looking at some data, 11,600 people were homeless in New Orleans, which is a huge number. Um, and then the, the city did some work, <laughs> I'm sure, including <laughs> New Orleans Women and Children's Shelter. And that number had dropped to, by 2018 to 1,188 people um, homeless in the, in the greater New Orleans area. But mm -hmm. now we're starting to see numbers go back up. Is that correct? Um, that is actually correct. And um, every year, uh, organizations do what is called a point in time survey to count the number of homeless people in any given community. Um, last year's count revealed that um, instead of that downward trend continuing, and we've made great success um, in post-Katrina New Orleans in dealing with homelessness, but um, you know, it, it went stagnant. So the concern was, and this was even before um, COVID was affecting our community, the concern was that this might be a reversal of the trend. So um, we are now seeing that combined with, you know, the, this large scale uh, event that has really hampered so many industries and prevented people from working and cost, you know, the lives of people who were not just beloved members of their family, but who in some instances were breadwinners. Um, you know, so, so altogether it makes for a, um, a terrible sort of storm, if you will. Um, all the stars aligned in the worst way. 
I mean, so that was a huge drop. So, so you talk about in 2007, like you said, that's post Katrina, not too far off of it. And we had mm-hmm. a, really, a really big problem with 11,600 people on the streets in the areas is hard to imagine now. Um, mm-hmm. We're down to a fraction of that. But that upward trend that we've been starting to see in the past year or so before, like you said, before all the COVID, is that because of affordable housing? What, what kind of they talked about what is causing that um there so we have um we've all we've always had significant uh economic disparities in our community um and i think because the the trend was just sort of you know flattening out and we were thinking that we would see a reversal there really wasn't a lot of time to figure out the why of it before this happened. (laughs) Um, But, you know, New Orleans has a significant number of people and I'm speaking in Orleans parish specifically who rent their homes, um, who work in the service industry. And, you know, a lot of those jobs are not necessarily um, very well paying jobs. So that, you know, that limits people um, in their ability to maintain housing. And I think they'd said in the same report um, about 50% of those people. So those 36,000 people last month who didn't pay mm-hmm. the mortgage, um, about half of them make 50,000 or under. So we're talking about, mm-hmm. like you said, um, you know, people on the lower income, um, but with this kind of wave coming, what what have you guys seen um, as far as, uh, well, let's talk a little bit about the shelter. So okay. um, you guys have helped, that, you focus on women and children. Mm-hmm. Um, you've helped thousands of people since opening. Can you talk about, about that? Sure. Um, you know, when our shelter opened, it was in post-Katrina New Orleans. There really wasn't, um, a safety net in the way that we normally think of it because everybody needed help in some way, shape, or form. Um, and homeless families are always especially vulnerable, you know, because there are children involved. I think because sometimes um, it can be easier to find alternate living situations if it's just one person. Um, if it's an entire family, then, you know, that can be very challenging. So, Um, as funders started to pull out of our community back then in 2007, you know, the, the founder, the founder of the shelter and her husband, uh, Dan and Jackie Silverman, you know, they, they made a decision that this was a niche group. There was not a lot of shelter space available for this population at all, speaking of families who were homeless. And so they decided they were going to do whatever it took to keep the shelter open. Um, Over the years, you know, they as founder and co-founder, and now Dan is our board chair, um, along with our executive director, Dawn uh, Bradley Fletcher, who was the first employee of the shelter, really developed a series of programs and services that work together to address um, really mitigating homelessness for these families. And so what we started with was, you know, a five bedroom shelter and we did shelter and meals. Um, 
and a little bit of resource development. And now we have a shelter with, um, you know, 14 bedrooms that can serve, um, you know, 14 families at a time. And if we need to, we have overflow space. But we have programs now that really help to break the cycle of homelessness. And what that means is not just giving a family shelter and food while they're with us, but also providing case management, helping them find jobs and affordable housing, making sure the children are in school and have access to whatever resources they need. Um, because, because children who are homeless face a certain level of trauma that's associated with not having routine in their lives. That's, you know, children thrive on that. Um, Yeah, it, it can be devastating. So we, I like to tell people we're way more than a shelter. We are uh, doing so much more than providing shelter, but providing shelter in the environment that we do, which is safe, it is secure, it is family friendly. Um, it's really appropriate for families. And I think that is just the best foundation for everything else we do. Now, but it's women and children. So when you say families, is are there men at the shelter? Yes. In, in 2016, we began accepting um, single father-led families okay. and intact families where there was a mother and a father present. Um, that not having a shelter environment where fathers are able to be with their children only exacerbates the trauma for children, because while they're in shelter, they're going, where's daddy? Is daddy okay? We're here, but where is he? Um, And it can be a barrier for shelter, especially for single fathers. If they have daughters, a lot of shelters separate the male and female population. So if you're a single dad with a daughter, you know, some of the more traditional shelter spaces would not be able to accommodate you. Right. Uh, So we started we started helping, you know, families, no matter their configuration, we'd always helped pregnant women, which was another uh, group that really had trouble accessing traditional shelter environments. Um, But that happened in 2016. Yeah. And so during COVID too, you have all this school upheaval as well. And you have all these, um, like, especially in the spring and then now a bit in the fall too, where you have, children learning from home. How has that worked out at the shelter? (laughs) Well, what we tell every family when they come in is you are now home Um, (laughs) for the time being, you know, until we help you get back on your feet. And so we, we take that same approach um, with schooling and children. We've always had, or I should say, you know, as, as programs developed over the years, we established an after school program, a summer program to really help um, families with childcare needs after school and during the summer. Those can be very challenging times because the school day does not necessarily align with the work day. Um, no, never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such a challenge, but this, this was no different. And for us, um, what this meant was helping students who, you know, needed technology to go to class, making sure they had a suitable environment to do that. Um, We have an education and employment center, but 
we needed more space because then there was also the challenge of social distancing. So yeah, it just, we just, the one thing I can say that I really enjoy about working at the shelter is the approach that we take is outcomes based. So it's never going to be good enough for us to just say, this is the program and this is what we do. Um, We're very flexible in making sure we're meeting the needs of our families. So we did the same exact thing with school as we would with any other challenge. And let's talk a little bit about those, the outcomes, because you guys have a great percentage of people who have come through the program and have found safe, secure, stable housing. Yeah, you know, we, we keep a, a, a five-year average um, outcome of about 80 to 85% of our families um, being placed in housing. Um, that to us is incredible. <laughs> um, and, you know, and it really stands out. Um, it's a great outcome. And like I said, I think a lot of that has to do with just being flexible. Um, and the other part of that is, you know, we have less than a 2% rate of families returning to shelter. And oh, that's wow. another, yeah, we, that's another great outcome. And that's based on, um, our, our post-residency case management program. Um, a lot of times, so homelessness is a poverty issue, right? Um, Mm -hmm. people who have a lot of means or, you know, family networks with a lot of means usually don't end up homeless. Um, having said that, you know, you have to address the, the issue of poverty and making sure that people can become economically stable. But you also have to make sure that you provide support once they move out of shelter. There was a stat um, that came out a few years ago that says the average person who lives in poverty, it would take 20 years for them to climb out of poverty with no financial emergencies happening. Not a car breaking down, not a medical emergency, nothing. Um, And so we provide support once a family leaves because we make it very clear. We don't want you to ever be homeless again. So the only way to do that is to make sure they're supported and they have access to resources once they leave shelter, because they're usually only with us, you know, two months, three months at a time. So what kind of support is that? What does that look like? Yeah, whoo, that is, uh, (laughs) that, that is probably our area of greatest flexibility. We've had people who've had injuries, um, you know, people who are, are on the lower end of the economic spectrum probably don't have AFLAC or long-term disability benefits or, you know, all of those things. So being out of work, even for a week after a car accident can cause someone to lose housing if they're literally living paycheck to paycheck and pinching every penny. Um, so we, we will provide support in those instances Um, we even had a situation where a family, uh, the father was working, he'd gone, uh, somewhere and his car had gotten towed. Well, in the glove compartment of his car were his WIC coupons for his child, but he needed his car to go to work. So it was, it was, um, he couldn't get on the tow lot to go in the glove compartment, (laughs) Um, but at the same time, you know, you have the work obligation, feeding your child and rent. 
was due. We can't have a situation where someone has to make that choice between feeding their child, going to work and paying their rent. So in that case, we were able to help him. We, we said, you know, listen, pay your, pay your rent and we're going to give you uh, gift cards to go and get food for the baby. You know, formula is not cheap. <laughs> I think as last I remember a can of formula was about 25 bucks. So yeah. And children, you know, they eat a lot. So, <laughs> so we were able to help him. That was a significant expense for that family. Um, but we were able to help them to make a choice that would not result in them becoming homeless again. And so that, that is part of the program, the flexibility of that program. So with all the things that you guys are doing, which is a lot, um, <laughs> where, where does your funding come from and how has that been affected by COVID? So um, about 40% of our funding comes from government sources. The other 60% comes from a combination of individuals, um, organizations, businesses, foundations. And what has happened um, is that we can't have like in-person fundraising events. So we canceled both of our fundraisers this year, which has of course left a gap in our fundraising revenue. Um, on top of that, we've had some donors who've said, hey, look, you know, either my job is gone or it's uncertain or someone yeah. has become ill. And so we can't support you all this year. Um, so we have to fill in that gap because we have to be open. What we're seeing now as you mentioned, there's a looming foreclosure crisis. Um, the, the programs that were helping people, um, you know, the moratorium ban, that was lifted. And then the CDC issued another one, but the guidelines are different. And then there are all the people who end up homeless for reasons that have nothing to do with just not paying rent. So we take we take in families who've become homeless, no matter how they've become homeless. Um, people always ask if we're a domestic violence shelter. We're not. Um, but that is a reason that a family can end up homeless, either domestic uh, violence or intimate partner violence, um, divorce, death in the family. We've had families come in for that. Um, you know, losing one of your two jobs <laughs> because right. a lot of people are the working poor. They work a lot, but they don't, they're not able to, you know, maintain a, a basic standard of living. So um, we are seeing all of that play out. You know, as I mentioned, New Orleans is, you know, half of us here are renters, um, but we're right now we've got a 25% unemployment rate. So all of that is finally catching up. We're seeing an uptick. Our shelter is filling up. Um, and we got to be here. So we're, we're going to figure out a way to fill in that gap. Have you guys been full through the pandemic? No, we, uh, we had lulls, which probably worked out for the best, especially in the beginning with uh, social distancing. I think, you know, the moratorium bans were or the more the eviction moratorium I, I left the word out of the word eviction out um that has been critical um okay. you know not just from an economic standpoint point but also from 
a public health standpoint. You know, you tell people to wash their hands and social distance and wear masks. And if you're wearing masks, you have to wash them. If you're homeless, you don't have anywhere to wash your hands. You don't have anywhere to wash your masks. Social distancing is only possible in as much as you can control your environment. And a lot of homeless people are, are not able to do that. Um, so we, <laughs> you know, we really have had to be very aware of the the challenges, the very real challenges that homeless homeless families have faced, um, and rise to meet those challenges. So on that note, we've got. Um, I, I know this is you know we're hitting in the fall and yep. Um, people start to think fortunately um, more about giving in the times of like Thanksgiving and Christmas and all of that. And, and if, if people are out there and they can support you, what are the options? I mean, obviously you guys, I'm sure would happily take checks. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, but, but is there anything else too? Like, are you guys going to have things for Christmas of supporting families or uh, what are the kind of the options that that people could do to help support? Yeah, we, we've always had, um, you know, big thanks to our community, by the way. This is, you know, the greater New Orleans area, I think, you know, southeastern Louisiana. There are just so many people who are so generous, um, and we really appreciate that. Um, in the past, you know, we had a good mix of people donating, um, you know, clothing that could be worn to a job fair or an interview. Um, obviously, diapers for babies, those types of things. What COVID has forced us to do is say, look, these are the things that we need and they need to be brand new because our staff um, was, you know, was spending a lot of time, not just on disinfecting items, but they've also had the additional burden of very frequent cleaning of the shelter more so than normal. And we were always cleaning, cleaning, cleaning because there were kids and kids are vectors and they're gross. <laughs> uh, just, people are just not as aware of um, some of the, the hygiene and sanitization uh, things that they need to be aware of. Although I'll say now, even my daughter is very aware of washing her hands very, very yes. frequently. <laughs> but so, yeah, we, we, We've issued. But you guys haven't had a case of COVID, right? We you have not. Had... Mm -mm. That's great. None of our residents have have uh, contracted COVID, and we are thrilled about that. Um, you know, kudos to our staff for the doing an amazing job of keeping the shelter clean and sanitary. Um, but I said all that to say we have an Amazon wish list so that. Um, people can donate exactly what we need. You can find that on our website, nowcs.org um, backslash support. Um, there are links there for making a cash donation, a monetary donation, um, calling us if you want to set up any sort of gift drive or gift card drive um, in our, our Amazon wish list. Great. Um, do you guys have any good partnerships with, with local businesses that you'd oh. like to? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like I said, the community is, is extremely generous. 
um, you know, we've had a uh, great support from Intergy. Um, you know, we've had lots of companies come out and do service projects with us. Um, UPS, Hancock Whitney. We have a great relationship um, with Capital One, Liberty Bank, and um, On Path Federal Credit Union has also been a really great supporter. They they helped us out, you know, when people couldn't get bank accounts because they didn't have a home address. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, we the business community has been great. The the faith based community, and I'm talking everything from you know Catholic churches to Wiccan groups. Uh, <laughs> any any sort of faith you can think of, you know, uh, they they've all been very supportive. I think most people appreciate and want to help, no matter who they are, where they come from, which business they represent. Um, they want to help provide people's most basic needs. I mean, food and and clothing and shelter; those are basic needs that everybody has no matter where they are in the world, there's not a human being alive who doesn't need a place to live and food in their belly. So. Absolutely. Well, and like we said, and like everybody knows, this is a hard time for, for not only our city and our region and our country, but the whole world. Um, Mm -hmm. So it is really taxing on so many nonprofits and so many families and so many organizations that are trying to do good. And mm-hmm. so I, I was definitely, definitely happy to get that out there to let people know of ways that they can help when they're, if they're in a fortunate enough position to do so um, in, in any way, shape or form. And so that Amazon wish list would be of help. Yeah. Um, and, um, and if people wanted to contact you about doing something, um, maybe figuring out a way that they can, you know, do something with their employees or, mm-hmm. or do mm-hmm. some sort of a drive is that they reach out to you? Yeah, they can, they can actually reach out to me directly. Um, our phone number is uh, 504-522-9340. I am at extension 106. Um, I, you know, we're going to be in the combined federal campaign, which is the uh, government employees um, employee giving campaign. Um we're just being really creative and our donors are being really creative about how they choose to support us. Um, we had a real estate firm reach us and say, Hey, we want to donate a portion of closing costs for the homes we sell to the shelter. I mean, that's amazing. That's so creative and outside the box thinking. Um, so that's wonderful. Yeah. Call us. We, we are, we are all about the creativity. That is how we that is how we work with people and that is how we work with people who want to support the people we help. Well, I know our, we, I have a Girl Scout troop. Um, my daughter's really a I love the grader. Girl Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've been doing that a few years where if we get, um, we're, if you have some thin mints coming at you this year, that'll, that'll probably be because of us. <laughs> so. I love it. I love it. Listen, kids eat snacks and they are in the shelter all day. If they're doing school from home, we need snacks. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, I will say above all else, even if you only give five bucks, monetary donations are by and far the most helpful because we need to have, you know, no a place. Yeah, but we yeah. also need a place. We need shelter, beds. We got to 
keep the lights on, you know, the, the basics. Um, to give shelter, you have to have a shelter. Huh? Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Melissa. This is um, not exactly a super happy um, topic in any way, but I'm really glad to get it out there that what you guys are doing. And sadly, you will be of even more need, it looks like, in the future. And so yeah. any, any way that we can get the word out and get people to help out is great. And like you said, this is a region that loves to do that. And if in any way they can, they will. So Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you for what you do. And I uh, appreciate you talking with us. Well, thanks for talking with me and, and thanks for helping us get the word out. That's also very important. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.